We are back here on the Punch Out Wednesday, the 10th of March, 2021. Very happy to be back with you as we always are here on the show. And we've got plenty of great stuff for you as we always do have here on the Punch Out from Breakthrough News. We're going to be talking about more pro-cop messaging coming from the Biden administration. Surprise, surprise. We're also going to be talking about student protest in South Africa, brutal suppression of a student protest today by the police in South Africa. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to start with another story about brutal police and military violations of people's rights, this time in the Philippines, talking about the death squads mobilized by Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte. The United Nations has condemned today a brutal massacre of nine activists last weekend by forces of the Philippine government. They were worker and peasant leaders, the nine activists who were killed. And those forces of the Philippine government doing this killing comes just days after President Duterte said that the military and police forces should attempt to annihilate the massive communist movement in the Philippines, stating that the security forces should, quote, kill them all and issuing a shoot to kill order against all those perceived to be communist. And that perceived part is important. So remember that. Duterte's spokesman, Harry Roque, told the press, quote, the president's order is correct. Kill, kill, kill. The kill, kill, kill order of the president is legal. End quote. Duterte's order is really par for the course for his brutal regime, where since he came to power in 2016, they've just been wantonly killing tens of thousands of people, both the military and the police. It's not even clear how many. It's just such wanton killing, northwards of 30,000 people at least. And it's under the twin guise of a war on drugs, quote unquote, and also continuing the 50-year-long conflict uh, with the communist New People's Army, which controls territories where millions of people live. Uh, And just to maybe even give you a sense of this, for those who don't know much about the Philippines, Duterte at one point, I believe this in 2018, was bragging about he himself uh, going out and gunning people down in the streets. So the drug war that Duterte has been waging, quote unquote, has really just been a reign of terror against civilians. Uh, All many, many untold stories in these tens of thousands of people have been killed. Untold numbers of stories, I should say, although many of the stories are also untold. Uh, Just civilians, just average regular people just gunned down by the police. The attacks on, quote unquote, communists, I remember the point I made about perceiving to be communist. His attacks on quote-unquote communists is actually just a cover to brutally assassinate any progressive activist working on any human rights issue of any sort. There's a practice in the Philippines known as red tagging, and that's where the government and these affiliated forces will openly designate some activist as a communist, saying that they're aligned with the New People's Army, the so-called quote-unquote communist guerrillas. There doesn't have to be any evidence or anything like that, but once you're red tagged, you're essentially just marked for death because of it. 
And just before this past Sunday's massacre of nine in Southern Tagalog, a very good example of this was seen when 300 activists in Northern Luzon were red tagged. And after what happened just a couple days after that with the activists killed in Southern Tagalog, it makes you think, those 300 activists in northern Luzon almost certainly are likely to be targeted very soon. And when we say targeted, we mean targeted for death. Again, upwards of 30,000 people have been killed in this fake drug war and many more vis-a-vis the issue of the, 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 the New People's Army. And in many cases, they do things like false positives. They'll kill someone and then dress them up in a uniform and say, we've killed uh, a rebel, but it's just a regular peasant. So it's a brutal reign of terror. But this reign of terror is not random. It's deliberate. Duterte represents the Philippine capitalist elite who are more than happy to sell the wealth of the country to the highest bidder for their own gain. The tremendous lack of development, poverty, rampant environmental destruction that comes along with this kind of agenda has created a very powerful movement of resistance over the last 50 years. And at the core of that are indeed many communists and the New People's Army that, again, controls many rural areas with millions of people. There are also allied forces who are not communists, but who believe that this communist opposition has a alternative view of how the country could be set up and run and that, you know, the vision of what that could look like is very well represented by the fact that in many of these areas where the New People's Army is large, they are known for land reform, for public health and education services, for a popular justice system, and also for standing up against environmental destruction, against brutal logging, against terrible landlords who oppress peasants. And so, you know, there might be a whole other way to run the Philippines, they're saying, and in, in, uh, in terms of being people-centered, not profit-centered, not on selling out the country country to foreign interest. But there are also individuals who are opposed to human rights abuses of all types who have no ties to any of the communist uh, forces and just have their own critiques of the Filipino uh, society that's run by these elites and want to see some change. But they're also just tagged with being part of the communist insurgency and marked for death. So you can see here that Duterte is trying to just, on the one hand, cow the population generally by just massacring people just in a wanton way through this so-called war on drugs, just a reign of terror, and then also trying to even further weaken the possibility for real change in the country by weakening political opposition, by making above-ground political work equivalent to being marked for death. Whether you have a tie to the communist movement, whether you don't, anyone who criticizes them in a substantive way will be marked for death. That's the message that they're trying to send. So to the average everyday people, to anyone who might stand up and organize themselves, they want to say, don't think about saying anything, don't think about standing up, and you definitely better not think about organizing. And even more than that, you better not think about organizing for a new world for oppressed and working people in the Philippines. And if you do any of that, even if you dream it, we're going to gun you down in the street. That's the message that Duterte is sending with the kill, kill, kill policy, trying to weaken the core of the opposition to the predatory capitalist agenda and try to weaken those who would rally to that opposition because they are so brutally oppressed by that agenda. And Duterte balances internationally between the U.S. and China, one against another, offering the Philippine riches to both sides to try to bolster his position using their geopolitical rivalry against one another. Recently, Duterte has been leaning more towards China and Russia. But as Biden came in, there's also overtures to the Biden administration. One day he's all for China. One day he's all for America. One day he's all for Russia. One day he's all for somebody else. The whole point is, is he's insulating himself from any real international condemnation by constantly appealing to all the various global power players, alternately denouncing them and praising them, but using their rivalries against one another to keep the kleptocratic elite in power and brutally so. And all that being said, progressive movements in the Philippines have 
sadly, pretty much always been subject to extreme violence for the past five or so decades, and it hasn't crushed them yet. And it's unlikely to do so now, but nevertheless, it is likely that human rights abuses are likely to escalate in the coming weeks. Well, those were the sounds of the police firing on student protesters from Wits University in South Africa. And despite the rounds being so-called non-lethal, there was one bystander who was killed by one of those rounds. A number of students were wounded, and several protesters, including two student journalists from Wits University, were arrested. The protests at Wits were part of the Fees Must Fall movement for free higher education and also improved education in the country in general that, starting two years ago, really shook the nation to its core and ignited the student movement in South Africa. Students were demanding in this particular protest at Wits University that Wits students who were unable to pay the full tuition in 2020, many are in arrears because of the challenges regarding the pandemic, that those students still be allowed to register for 2021 classes. The students were noting at least 8,000 of 40,000 students have been excluded from registering so far because of this situation regarding the fees. Police opened fire on the protests in a street close to the campus for allegedly blocking the street. They said that they were clearing the street and all these various things. A man leaving the clinic got caught in the crossfire, but ultimately it was just a brutal crackdown. People were sitting down in the streets. This was not some back and forth. It was just a brutal crackdown by the cops on these students on a street about a street away from the university entrance in and of itself, just demanding the right to be educated. Education in South Africa is just abysmal Generally, uh, listen to some of these stats here. 210,000 students walk for more than an hour each way to go to school. 659,000 walk for between 30 minutes and an hour each way because there is no transportation. The schools have almost no laboratories for science classes. Tens of thousands of them have no libraries. There's 239 schools that don't even have electricity, and there's a few dozen that don't even have bathrooms. And the poor state of education means that it's a struggle to even get to the higher education level. And then the fees often keep many of these students who struggled so hard to make it to higher education, the fees keep them out. The fees are too high. So the fees must fall movement was centered on higher education, but really raised in a sharp way the overall challenges faced by young people fighting to be educated in South Africa and really renewed agitation for better funding of education at all levels. The ANC-led government, however, has, like with most social schemes, just totally failed to deliver on this. They were constantly promising they were going to do something about fees must fall. They even set up a fund to help the students who are from lower incomes, but it's been underfunded for several years now, so that's not doing what they said it was. So despite the fact that there are hundreds of billions of dollars of wealth generated in South Africa every year, there's many billionaires in the countries. It's one of the richest countries on the planet Earth. The government has totally failed to translate that into any sort of real development for tens of millions of people. And that's why the country is just constantly racked with strikes and with protests and also major splits in political parties. You had the largest union in the country, uh, NUMSA, that was at one point part of the liberation, quote unquote, liberation alliance in the ANC that has broken away and is leading 
quite a number of, of, of very spirited strikes and worker actions that are often aimed directly at these government policies. You had the economic freedom fighters, which are breakaway from the ANC, and they become the largest opposition party. You had the Fees Must Fall movement, which cut across many different political parties and was a mass uprising of young people. We talked on this show about the general strike that happened recently uh, in South Africa as well. I mean, you can see that there is a huge cauldron of opposition and of, of anger and of frustration that is really just bubbling over there in South Africa because of just the complete lack of, of a future for many millions of young people, but they are fighting for it. They are fighting for real transformative change in their lifetime. And of course, the government that doesn't want to do anything is now shooting them down in the streets. Just one more element to add to the deep turmoil in South Africa, which seems set to continue as long as the government remains committed to a development path that favors the ultra-wealthy and foreign investors above all else. Vanita Gupta, the former head of the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice under former President Barack Obama, has been in confirmation hearings this week to become the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. And her nomination has drawn quite a bit of ire from conservatives initially. The Dark Money Group, the Judicial Crisis Network, has already spent $800,000 trying to paint her as some sort of extreme radical BLM activist. And I have to say, they wasted that $800,000, so no one knows who donates the Judicial Crisis Network, but whatever billionaire you are out there, you lost out on that one because it just isn't the case that Benita Gupta is any sort of, uh, you know, radical BLM activist at all. And in fact, despite the fact that she made many statements while working for the ACLU, implying that she may approach some of the issues regarding policing and so on with more enlightened views, her testimony and uh, at the hearings themselves and the statements made around them by the White House make very clear that is not, in fact, the case. She is very pro-police in every way and made that point. When pushed on whether she supported the idea of, quote-unquote, defunding the police, she told senators, quote, I do not support defunding the police. I have, in fact, spent my career advocating where it has been necessary for greater resources for law enforcement. I've spent my career advocating for greater resources for law enforcement. That's Vanita Gupta. And she also noted that she wants to see $300 million sent to the police and extra federal grants. And she supports the overall Biden sort of proposal and plan to use increased grants uh, to police agencies as a major part of their you know, attempt to shape how they act. But at one point, Biden was saying they may be giving billions of dollars to police agencies. So the opposite of defund the police. That's what his deputy AG is saying. More money for the cops. More money for the cops, including $300 million this year. When asked about ending qualified immunity, and that's sort of a bureaucratic reality that often shields police officers from facing consequences for their own brutal misconduct, she told senators, quote, I will say I don't come in supporting it. Elimination, one way or the other, end quote. So, you know, cops being shielded from any real consequences, she can't say one way or the other whether or not she would be against eliminating that. Oh, and by the way here, Gupta is endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police. She's endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police, who, of course, endorsed Trump twice and have opposed any actual change in any way to racist police terror anywhere in the country at all times. But they, the Fraternal Order of Police, said about the Deputy Attorney General nominee of the Biden administration, quote, she always worked with us to find common ground. She always worked with us to find common ground. Hmm. 
Okay. Well, a lot of hype from the Democrats about how they're going to address police terror. You may want to take that with a grain of salt if this is what we are getting from the so-called pro-civil rights candidate for the deputy attorney general. When you think about these things, just don't forget what Biden told rich donors in the fall of 2019. Nothing will fundamentally change. And that's going to do it for us here today on The Punch Out on the 10th of March, 2021. But it's not all for The Punch Out overall as it concerns our offerings for you here on Wednesday, March 10th. Our patrons-only edition of The Punch Out, The Big Listen, will also be out today, but you must be a patron. So go to patreon.com slash breakthrough news if you want to have the opportunity to hear that. We're going to be delving into the stimulus bill, the good, the bad, and the ugly exclusive analysis there. You won't want to miss it. Patreon.com slash Breakthrough News for Punch Out. Big listen for patrons only. That's going to do it for us here on the Punch Out in general here today. We'll be back with you tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, here on Breakthrough News. Yeah. Yeah.